Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we return to Psalm 23, which really is a psalm about Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Good Shepherd. And he is the fulfillment of what David is writing about and what David experienced in his life. And Psalm 23 is really about Jesus and Jesus' loving care for those sheep who belong to him. Those who belong to him and they don't belong to the world. And if ever there was a time that we needed to be reminded of who Jesus is and how in love he cares for those who belong to him, for those he has died for, for those he has washed with his blood. If ever there was a time we needed to be reminded of who he is and how he cares for his sheep, now certainly is that time, especially in times of darkness and in seasons like we're walking through right now. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And brothers and sisters, this, in a nutshell, this is the good news of God's word. This is the gospel. This is what sets apart believers from unbelievers. It's the joy and the good news that Christ, that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. And that he has laid down his life for his sheep. He's given everything, and very specifically for the sin of his sheep. This is the testimony of the cross. And the testimony of the cross is that Jesus came and died to fulfill Psalm 23 in our lives. And in Psalm 23, King David describes to us how the Lord does for his sheep what his sheep could never do for themselves. In love, the Lord personally leads his sheep through the darkest valleys of this fallen world. And he brings them home into the light. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23. And we'll read this together. This meditation on what Christ does in the life of his sheep, how he cares for them, and how he brings us through the darkest and most dangerous of places. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. With these God-breathed words, King David likens his life, as we've mentioned before, to a journey or a pilgrimage. And it's a journey that begins with the Lord's leading and the Lord's feeding and the Lord's restoration of His sheep, the Lord bringing those sheep to repentance and washing them with His Word and restoring and healing and binding them up with His Word and His instruction. But as we've said before, it doesn't stop there. It's a journey that ends wonderfully in the house of the Lord forever. And this ultimately is where the Lord is bringing His sheep. He has a destination and place in mind. He's bringing His sheep to Himself to live with Him forever. But it's a journey that is characterized every step of the way, from beginning to to end by the loving care of the Good Shepherd for His sheep. Not by accident, however, 
standing right in the very middle of this psalm and this journey and this pilgrimage. Not at the end, not at the beginning, right in the middle. The middle of this journey home is the darkest and most dangerous of places. The valley of the shadow of death. And without apology or excuse, and quite contrary to the lies of the prosperity gospel and much of what passes as the gospel in America, right in the middle, without apology or excuse, it is through the darkest of valleys where the Lord, in love, and in his paths of righteousness, necessarily leads his sheep in order to bring them home. That brings us to our first point for this morning. The Lord's paths of righteousness necessarily pass through some very scary places. The Lord's paths of righteousness necessarily pass through some very scary places. So we've mentioned before, King David, like All the saints of God's word was no stranger to darkness and to dangerous times and places. Death was something he was not unfamiliar with. As you read through 1 and 2 Samuel, you read through the life of King David, you realize death was all around King David. Death was close to King David. David was used to being in dark and dangerous and difficult places. Not only had he led his father's sheep through such places, but he himself, by God's design, had to hide out in such places for years while King Saul was trying to kill him. Why was King Saul trying to kill David? Was it because King David made some bad choices? Was it because King David did not opt for the best career path? Was it because of King David's family or the circumstances in which he was raised? King Saul was trying to kill David because David was God's anointed. King Saul was trying to kill David because David was God's servant. King Saul was trying to kill David because David belonged to God and not to the world. Had David belonged to the world, that would not have been a threat to King Saul. He would have found a way to curry King Saul's favor, to get out of the way and to get what he needed. David frequently found himself in dark and dangerous places because he loved the Lord and he followed the Lord. And David knew firsthand that to follow the Lord in paths of righteousness inevitably and necessarily meant that you would end up in some very dark and dangerous places. King David knew firsthand from Psalm 2 that the world is hostile to God and the world is hostile to His Word. The world desires to destroy anything that is remotely connected with the God who created the universe and who has revealed himself in his word. This is the testimony of Psalm 2. David knew that if he was going to be associated with the Lord, he would be under attack and threatened by the very same sin, the very same Satan and devil, the very same entities in this world that were actively trying to destroy the Lord and His servant. King David knew firsthand that walking with the Lord in paths of righteousness meant walking by faith and not by sight. He knew that it meant that he would not understand everything that was going on. He knew that his intellect was not big enough to understand what God's plans were. He knew that things that seemed hurtful at first would someday prove to be God's blessing in his life and the life of his people. But he knew that also meant seasons of hard times, dark places, and even death. So that's why he writes in Psalm 34, 9, 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And Psalm 35, Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The beauty as we read the Psalms, we see that David was not unfamiliar with hard times, but what he knew was that death and darkness was not the end. And in the Psalms, what David makes clear is that salvation does not mean a present life without trials and tears and adversity, especially for the servant of the Lord. But in Scripture, God's salvation does mean that God carries His children and He comforts them through the trials and tears and darkness of this world. And He does so in order to bring them safely home where they belong. And there's only one place that God's sheep belong, and that is with Him. And brothers and sisters, this is the testimony of the cross. The testimony of the good news. Jesus didn't come down to give us a good life now. He did come to save us from our sin. He did come to conquer death. He did come to die on the cross and do whatever was ever necessary according to God's word to draw us close to him. That's what we sang about this morning as Danny led us in that song. Holy, holy, holy. A song that makes clear we have no part to do with the Lord. And if we're going to have anything to do with the Holy God, something needs to be done. We've got to get through some dark valleys. And there's only one person who's going to get us through that dark valley. And what the cross does is it serves as a testimony. The Lord is going to stop at nothing to get us through that dark valley, including the dark valley of death, to bring us home to Him. King David knew firsthand that the true test of a shepherd is not how a shepherd cares for his sheep in good times and in safe places. The true test of a shepherd is how he cares for his sheep and how he brings his sheep home through the darkest of times, through the most difficult of places, through the most dangerous valleys. That's the real test of what a true and good shepherd is. As we come to verse 4, King David shows us very specifically the way in which the Lord sets himself apart as the greatest of shepherds. Verse 4, King David shows us the way the Lord leads his sheep through the darkest of times and places. How the Lord leads his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. He shows us that in love, the Lord personally leads his sheep through the darkest of places by providing the comfort that only he can give. And that, brothers and sisters, is the comfort of His authoritative presence in their lives. Brings us to our second point for this morning. The Lord comforts His sheep with His authoritative presence. The Lord comforts His sheep with His authoritative presence. Brothers and sisters, sooner or later, you and I will walk through dark valleys. But there's one dark valley, ultimately, which we all must pass through. And that is the valley of the shadow of death. No man, no matter how rich, no matter how great your career is, no matter how intelligent, no matter how bright, all of us are going to have to walk through that valley. Psalm 23 raises the issue The true test of both the shepherd and the sheep is how they walk through that valley. That is the ultimate divider and test. And in verse 4, 
King David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. King David knew, brothers and sisters, what it was like to be truly anxious. King David knew what it was like to be truly afraid. King David knew what it was like to truly suffer. All you need to do is read through those Psalms and you see firsthand that King David was no stranger to anxiety and fear and fear of death. And in particular, you should read Psalm 55. And you read through it and you realize that David was no stranger to what we refer to today as panic attacks or post-traumatic stress disorder. You see all the different symptoms going on as David wrestles with the circumstances in which the Lord himself has brought David. And throughout these Psalms, David's very clear. He understands. He's not in these places where he is terrified for his life by accident. God is sovereign. He is here. This is the Lord's doing. And it's specifically the Lord's doing because David is God's anointed. It's not like he gets a pass or a good life because of it. And as we read those Psalms, and as you read through Psalm 55, you realize King David also knew firsthand that he needed something more than just a pill or a therapist. King David needed something more than the comforts of this world to remove his very real fear and anxiety of death. Things which... The world offers are only temporary. He needed something permanent, something eternal, something lasting. He needed something greater than the sin of this world. Brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we come close to death. I mean, really threatened by death. Whether it's the death of a loved one, or whether it's personal illness or something that comes up directly on our doorstep. And it's something, brothers and sisters, in America, we really, for the most part, have insulated ourselves from and turned a blind eye from. We have not lived in a part of the world that has been typically war-torn, where death is on our doorstep. Yes, there are family members who have struggled with cancer and illness. And yes, now with COVID-19, we're seeing the level of fear that comes as these things come somewhat close to us. But by and large, as a nation, the Lord has protected us from a lot of that for the most part, though there are many neighborhoods in the States where that is not the case. But many times, too, we have to say as a nation and a people, we have gone and run for the comforts of this world and for the things of this world in order to blind ourselves or numb ourselves from the fear of death and the fear of sin. But what God does and how he is gracious with his sheep is his paths of righteousness necessarily take us through some dark places. And it's at that time in those moments when death is knocking at our door that we begin to see that all the money in the world is not going to help us. The best and brightest career in education is not necessarily going to help us. And we find out, too, that many of our friends cannot help us. David knew firsthand that what he needed when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he needed nothing less than the personal presence of a God who is greater than death. And clearly, that is not the God of wealth or politics, or friends, or relationships. And it was the presence of God, and not just the presence of God, brothers and sisters, the presence of God's lordship, the reminder that God was in charge and in control, very specifically of David's life, to the point where he knew every hair that was on David's head, and he knew every breath that David took, It's his awareness of the presence of this God, the God of the Bible. That's why he says, of whose word I praise. It's the personal presence of the Lord found in the Scriptures. 
This is what banished King David's fear over and over and over again. And that is why he writes, I will fear no evil for you. And what does David say? For you. For you gave me a pill. For you gave me a therapist. For you gave me a friend. For you gave me a spouse. For you gave me a career or a great health insurance plan. No, he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Brothers and sisters, you know, those of you who are parents, you know, when your kids are really, really sick, I mean really sick, and sometimes even sick to the point where they need to be in a hospital, you know that the one thing that they want and need most is that their parents would be by their sides. And that's why in hospitals, many times the nursing station will have a cot. And if there's no medical reason against it, there will be a cot in that room and they'll provide a place for a parent to sleep overnight so that they can be by the side of that little child throughout the night, especially in the darkness. Because what that little child needs most of all is the reassurance of a parent's unswerving, self-sacrificing love. In many ways, that's far greater reassurance and comfort than even the physicians can give to that child. And brothers and sisters, that's what David is referring to here. I have the unwavering love of a father who loves me and cares for me and will stop at nothing to take care of me. He is with me. He is my advocate. He is my covering. He is my care. He is watching over me even when I sleep. And how exactly does the Lord make His care known to all His sheep, even in the darkest of places? Well, David explains in the end of verse 4. He says, For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here King David draws our attention to what the Lord uses to comfort his sheep. And it's remarkably different from what the world uses to comfort its, how shall we say, wolves and goats, and those who belong to the world. What exactly does the Lord use to comfort his sheep in dark and dangerous places, in hard times, and when death is knocking at the door? It's his rod and his staff. And the language David uses here is he highlights very personally, these are personally God's personal rod and his staff. In the ancient Near East, the shepherd's rod was a short handheld stick. And then the shepherd's staff was the larger walking stick. And I'm sure you've seen many variations of these. And Old Testament scholar Stuart Douglas notes that in the ancient Near East, one's rod and staff were one's most valuable personal possessions. They were frequently engraved with your personal name or your sign. And they were the equivalent at that time. They were the equivalent of a person's passport and credit card and sidearm all rolled into one. We see this illustrated in the first five books of Moses. And you see this in Genesis 38, 18. Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, in Genesis 38, 18, asks for a payment from Judah, her father-in-law. And Judah promises that he will give her an animal. But he doesn't have it on hand. And so she demands of him his cord, his signet ring, and his staff as a collateral and as pledge of payment for what he has promised her. And what she's doing is she's keeping this, and everybody knows when she has Judah's staff, this is Judah's staff, he's promised. He is bound by everything he is and everything he represents. He's indebted to me. And in Scripture, the rod and the staff was a symbol of one's personal power and authority and rule. You knew by someone's staff what their rank and title and what their power was. Their lordship. We don't think of power and authority being a comfort. Quite the opposite in America. In this age 
this millennial age, shall we say, okay, where we distrust power and authority, and so we feel safest when we run from power and authority, and the only power and authority we recognize is our own. And that's because so often, from the president to the Senate to Congress all the way down, we've learned to distrust self-serving leaders. But here, David is saying the opposite. He knew the Lord the way I know the Lord, David is saying. The real comfort in a dark place is his power and authority. That's what the rod and staff are symbols of. What's interesting, if you go and look at pictures of King Tut's sarcophagus, it's a familiar icon which we're all aware of, that golden coffin that's been around the world. If you look at that, that beautiful golden coffin, you'll see that the figure of, of King Tutankhamun, as he's on there, he's holding two rods. He's holding a shepherd's crook in gold and blue, and he's holding a rod that's referred to as a flail. He's got two. And the shepherd's crook and the rod that was known as a flail, which could be used either as a weapon or also to beat down grain, these were symbols of Egyptian royalty. They demonstrated that whoever possessed them carried the rank of the shepherd of the people to protect and to provide for them. And in Scripture, even more so, as we go through the text, we see that the rod and the staff made clear to all who was the shepherd and who were the sheep. Now, brothers and sisters, those are things that we get confused with very frequently. And one of the things that really exposes who the shepherd is and who the sheep are are those moments and places where we come into hard times, when things are difficult, when we're tired, when we're weary, when things aren't going the way we planned, when the money in the bank account is not enough, when the friends are not there to support us. We feel not great about our options. We begin to see who the shepherd is and who the sheep are. And as we come to verse 4, what comforts David in the valley of the shadow of death, it's not his power or his authority. And it's worth remembering, brothers and sisters, King David was a mighty warrior. Goliath had fallen to his hands, and he had cut Goliath's head off. David was a mighty warrior in battle. Had many victories. David was a great and wealthy king. David was a man after God's own heart. Spiritually, okay, by every measure, including religious and spiritual, King David was head and shoulders above anyone else in Israel. Considered to be the greatest king in Israel. So there's no one who really competes with King David's resources, with King David's power and authority. And yet here, what comforts King David is not his power and his authority. He does not say, my rod and my staff, they comfort me. Very specifically, David realizes and knows firsthand. And what gives him comfort is that he is a lamb and he is a sheep and not the shepherd. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's worth stopping for a minute, brothers and sisters, and asking ourselves, when hard times come, when dark times are here, when things are difficult in our marriages, our home, our families. What is it that comforts us? Where do we look for comfort? And you will notice that where you look for comfort, or what gives you comfort very frequently, is what rules your life and what is the authority in your life. For King David, his comfort comes from the personal presence of God's authority in his life. 
It's the reality that the Lord is the one in charge and that the Lord is the shepherd, not King David. That rod and that staff is a symbol that David's life is ruled over by God's authority. That David is not in charge of his life. The Lord is. The Lord is actively involved, ruling over every aspect of David's life, including every breath that King David takes. Because King David knows the Lord, that is a comfort to him. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time and a place where Jesus has been reduced to a Facebook friend. Someone we click on and off when we feel like it, and we feel lonely, and we feel we want some company or to see what's going on. We've added Jesus into our lives. Have we submitted our lives to His authority and His Lordship? We've reduced Jesus to a Facebook friend who we defriend whenever we want. And shepherding and discipleship frequently has been reduced to a Google Hangout that we turn off or we schedule whenever we want our devotions. We get this one portion of the day. That's our time with the Lord. Lord, this is your time. You get this one time of the day. The rest of it's mine. And brothers and sisters, you see, we have it all backwards. And many times the Lord brings us intentionally and necessarily His sheep to hard places to realize you think you're bigger than this world. You think the comforts of these world is all that you need. You have no idea that these things cannot protect you and take care of you when it matters most. And it's a kindness and grace from the Lord many times to bring us through some hard times and hard places. And we discover in those times that our sinful and fleshly desire is that we would rule and control our own lives. And that's exposed, brothers and sisters, how frequently we resist to give up control and authority in our lives. Now, should we give up control and authority indiscriminately? No. Can you trust the people in this world? No. People are fallen sinners. And people say, well, I don't trust you and I don't trust the church, Pastor Mark, because I've had bad experience with my parents or my family or my teachers or the people at work. King David's not talking about that. He's talking about, do you trust the Lord? Because that's what separates someone who's a sheep who belongs to the Lord as opposed to a sheep who belongs to the world. Or a goat, rather, who belongs to the world. Our sinful fleshly desire, we have to remember, is our desire to rule and control everything. And the test of that is what happens when we lose control. What happens when our day gets interrupted? What happens when an illness comes to a child? What happens when we lose a job or our hours get cut back? How do we respond? Where do we go to? Well, I don't know about you, but me personally, I struggle with anxiety and fear. What's going to happen? How am I going to take care of my family? What am I going to do? Am I going to be able to cover this? We realize what we celebrate in this world and what we fight in our flesh and where Satan comes after us is that illusion that somehow we can control things. And the best possible situation is when we're in charge. But brothers and sisters, when life gets scary, when darkness and death come knocking, we don't need a friend. We need more than a buddy. We need a shepherd and we need a Lord whose power and authority is greater than us and greater than sin and greater than death itself. And we need that Lord to take charge of our lives. And that's why King David's son, Solomon, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, exhorts his son, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make straight your paths. And the implication here is, really, we are never able to make our paths straight. Only the Lord is able to do that. 
And what God graciously and mercifully does for His sheep is He allows them at times to go through some challenging seasons in their marriages, their homes, their families, so that we begin to see that, guess what? We're not enough. And brothers and sisters, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God has come to save us because we're not enough. I've had the privilege of spending some time with some war vets, men who served in the Marines, men who served overseas in the Middle East. And out of curiosity, I've talked to them about post-traumatic stress disorder because it's a bit of an issue in biblical counseling circles. Is it real? I talked to at least two brothers who have been through this, and they said, oh, it's, it's very real. The idea of coming home, of being set off, being in a cold sweat, heart palpitations, feeling the need to pull a gun out, feeling that I'm about to be killed if I don't make it through this red light. And I asked these men how they got through it and what they shared with me, both of them Christian brothers, is they shared with me that what brought them through post-traumatic stress disorder after serving overseas and seeing horrific, horrific things that men should not have to see, but we see because we live in a sinful and fallen world. Friends who are killed by your side. Bullet wounds that take away someone's face. What is it that got these men through? And both of them independently said the same thing. It was learning to trust the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of His Word. That no matter what happens, the testimony of God's Word is true, that God is good, and that He is in charge, and that believers belong to Him. This is what ultimately The Lord taught these men. It didn't happen overnight. It was a process. Their lives were difficult. And I'm sure by extension, their families and their marriages and their parentings for seasons were difficult as children and wives helped bear the burden of the sin that these men had witnessed and seen. And yet over time, where the Lord brought these men is a confidence that the Lord does not lie, that He is a good shepherd. And that the one that you want in charge is not you. You want the Lord. And this is what King David points to in verse 4 when he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The true and lasting comfort is the comfort that only comes, not just, brothers and sisters, from a God but from a God who is directly in control and in charge of my life. And for the Lord to be directly in charge and control of my life, that means I have to give up control and authority in my life. I have to surrender it to the Lord. I have to be willing to come and say, I am a sheep, you're the shepherd. You get to call the shots. You get to take away the vacation I wanted to go on because of COVID-19. You get to take away a family member who I love. You get to take away the career that I was hoping to have. You get to take away the spouse. And if you decide, you'll give them back in due time. That was the lesson that Job learned. Hard, painful, difficult. But what awaits Job at the end is the realization to put right things in their proper place. That the greatest prize of all is the Lord. And the greatest prize of all and the greatest joy is to be with Him. And when we are with Him, everything finds its proper place. When we're not with the Lord, everything becomes an idol. My family, my job, my career, my church, my ministry, my pulpit, all of those things without Christ. And God so graciously, like in the life of Joseph, the life of Moses, the life of King David, He necessarily, for those who will serve Him, He necessarily brings them through hard times and breaks them so that they will discover the difference between the comforts of this world that do not last and deceive and take us away from the Lord 
as opposed to the comforts of the Lord that draws closer to him. That brings us to our third point for this morning. The Lord's rod and staff keep his sheep close to him. The Lord's rod and staff keep his sheep close to him. And they do so in three ways, by protecting his sheep, by correcting his sheep, and by counting his sheep. Brothers and sisters, King David knew the safest place for a sheep to be, especially in dark and dangerous places, is to be close to a good shepherd. There's no safer place for a sheep to be. And for the weakest and most vulnerable sheep, the place to be is to move to the front of the line and get close and nestle right close to the leg and the staff of that shepherd, not out at the fringe. And that's because the greatest danger to a sheep, especially in dark and dangerous places, is to be far from the shepherd or, God forbid, to get separated from the shepherd. And throughout Scripture, the Lord makes reference to three ways He uses His rod and His staff to keep His sheep close to Him. And those three ways are protecting His sheep, correcting His sheep, and counting His sheep. And what's worth noticing and thinking to ourselves, brothers and sisters, when do we get far away from the Lord? It's typically those times, and many times they're good times. When we're scared, we're usually getting a little closer. But sadly, what happens, brothers and sisters, is in good times, we get confident. Things are good, food's good, everything's working well. It's the pride goes before a fall, that we walk in our own way and feel we don't need to be that close to the shepherd because it's not really that dangerous right now and we're doing fine and we're strong and we're healthy and we can handle it. But brothers and sisters, if we haven't learned how to follow the shepherd and stay close to him in good times, when dark times come, we discover that we're not doing such a great job at staying close to him. And that's when the Lord uses his rod and his staff, the symbols of his authority and his power, to keep his sheep close to him. And the first way God uses his rod and staff to keep his sheep close to him is to use them as a weapon to protect his sheep to whack predators and enemies on the nose and to threaten them and to show that he is in charge. In Exodus 4.17, God commands Moses, he says, And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The signs referring to the plagues, the supernatural plagues that God will strike Egypt with. And God is showing everyone through the signs that come, that his word is true, that the Lord is king, that he's the one in charge, not Pharaoh or the false gods of Egypt. And the Lord's staff and its signs were a message to all that Israel belonged to God, not Egypt. Don't mess with the Lord, don't mess with his sheep. So you go down a little bit further in Exodus 4.20. Exodus 4.17, God commands Moses, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses was not confident to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was not confident in his own abilities. I don't speak well. The Lord says, take the staff. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And Exodus 4.20 says, And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And as you go through the rest of Exodus, that staff that Moses carried was repeatedly referred to as the staff of God. It didn't belong to Moses. It belonged to the Lord. People realized by the supernatural signs that came, The Lord is the one in charge. The staff that is in Moses' hand belongs to the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, in hard times, what staff are you hanging on to? What is the power and authority that you lay claim to? Who is serving to protect you? Where have you placed your confidence in? President Teddy Roosevelt used to describe his foreign policy as speaking softly and carrying a big stick. Now we live in an age 
Well, we don't speak softly. We scream and shout on the streets and everywhere we go. And the stick that we lay hold of are the sticks of this world. Not so for God's sheep. God's sheep look to the staff of the Lord, His power and His authority, to be the weapon that will protect them. The second way the Lord keeps His sheep close to Him, the first way is to use His rod and staff as a weapon. The second way the Lord keeps His sheep close to Him is using His rod and staff to discipline and correct His sheep. Brothers and sisters, when are sheep and children tempted to fight or to flight, to run, to scatter? It's typically when they are tired and they are scared and they are in scary places. And rather than listen or follow their shepherd, and rather than simply trust him that he loves them and he knows what's best and he knows how to get them through this, Sheep and children will frequently act foolishly. They'll either try and run away or they'll try and hide or they'll hunker down and get frozen and they won't move. Which are the worst things that you can do in a dangerous place. I often think to myself and tell my boys, when is it that I squeeze your hand the tightest? When is it that Dad speaks to Ethan and Josh in a scary voice? Well, not uncommonly, it's when we walk across a street that's a busy intersection with many cars. And I want them to pay attention. And I don't want them to freeze up. And I'm prioritizing that we need to get across this street together. And we see the Lord repeatedly throughout Scripture using the rod and staff to give his sheep a love tap to remind them that he is right behind them or in front of them, that he is with them, but also to keep them going and also to keep them from straying. And when they start to get off or they start to nip and bite at one another, to get in and give a little bit of a crack with that with that staff or that rod, to bring them, to get their attention, to get their eyes focused on Him rather than one another or the dangers that are out there, and to bring them back onto the path and to bring them close to Him. Brothers and sisters, how often do we get so overwhelmed in difficult and hard times by the horizontal things that are facing us that we forget to keep our eyes on the Lord and stay close to Him? And we have those days that go by that they're too busy because we've got too many battles to fight, too many phone calls to make, too many ministry challenges on our plate. And before the day is done, we haven't spent that time with our eyes focused on the Lord, in His Word, in prayer. And we wonder why we struggle with anxiety and stress and fear. And when we do break down, brothers and sisters... Where do we go so often? Well, we beat ourselves up. I should have done this. I should have done this. I should have started the day earlier. I should have called this person, this person, this person. And once again, we fail to see that the place we need to be is next to the shepherd with our eyes on him. And the Lord comes and uses his rod and staff to discipline and correct us and give us a love tap sometimes in order to get our attention to say, oh, I could never have sorted myself out. The one I need is the Lord. Proverbs 10.13 says, A rod is for the back of him who lacks sense and understanding. A rod is for the back of him who lacks sense or understanding. That's the fool. That's the one who says in his heart there is no God. And many times the Lord has to come and bring discipline into our lives to get our attention. Providentially, through the shepherds in the church, he comes in and gives us that little love tap or that little love crack Okay, when we're acting as functional atheists, when we've been going on for some time. When young couples come and they speak to Julie and I and they've had a conflict and things are, and they're hurt and they're broken. And why did it have to happen this way? And this had to happen on our wedding anniversary. And it goes on and on. Or it had to happen on our birthday when we were planning to go to a nice restaurant and have a great time. And you go back and say, brothers and sisters, how was, how was your time in the Word? 
how was your time in prayer? And you go back and you realize, and they realize, oh my goodness, this whole time has been focused on celebrating the way the world celebrates, on focusing on the comforts of the world and what got lost in the shuffle of all of these things is the Lord, the one who loves us the most. And so God graciously throws a tiny little monkey wrench and everything becomes unhinged. And we're upset with the Lord and we say, you took it away from us. How could you do this on my birthday or my wedding anniversary? We fail to see what the Lord is doing is He's disciplining us from our idolatries and He's bringing us back on the path when we've been wandering away, 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 away. Because He loves us and He's bringing us close. Proverbs 13.24 Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Brothers and sisters, we have a tendency in the church to view discipline as a punishment. We view discipline as a punishment for something we did wrong. And so what ends up happening is when discipline comes, our pride gets offended. What? You say, I did something wrong? I'm a bad person? We get into a huff and a puff. And we think this way, brothers and sisters, because typically this is how we were raised. For most people, discipline was punishment for something you did wrong in your household or your home. Discipline was done in anger or frustration and went from two extremes of not doing anything to really hitting in anger. But brothers and sisters, God is a holy father, and his love is perfect. He is not like our parents or our homes, even homes that are allegedly Christian. And in God's word, God's discipline is a gift of grace and an act of love that is reserved only for those who belong to him, his sheep and his children. And the purpose of his discipline is to correct. So that's a confusion we make. We associate Discipline with punishment for something we've done wrong. I did something wrong, so I'm getting punished. But brothers and sisters, if God was going to punish us for what we did wrong, if justice was going to be wrought, which one of us would be left standing? True justice and true punishment is the cross, brothers and sisters. True justice and true punishment would be burning in hell. In our pride, we overestimate the discipline that's given. For a loving father, the purpose of discipline is to correct and to bring a wandering child or sheep back on the path and to bring them close to the one who loves them and knows how to care for them. And in so doing, to keep them out of danger, to bring them to repentance and bring them back to the one who loves them the most. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it what we deserve? Far from it. So Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6, makes a reference to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. And then, The author of Hebrews goes on, and I encourage you to read that. Read through Hebrews 12 to really understand what the discipline of the Lord is all about and how it's an expression of love, and it's a gift of grace, and it's normative. And if there is not discipline, we need to consider, are we truly sons of the Lord? Dr. Street would continually remind me, he said, the people I worry about are not the people who go through hard times. Prosperity gospel, you go through hard times. You must be a loser. You must not have enough faith. You must not be praying enough. Or the typical question that people ask when they hit hard times, but I served at church, but I love the Lord, but I did blah, 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 blah. Why am I still single? Why don't I have children? Why is my marriage hard? But you come back to the scriptures, and, and this happens in church discipline too. People are like, oh, there must be something wrong with our church because there's church discipline. And yet you come back to Hebrews 12, and the point that the author of Hebrews is making is, look, if you don't have discipline in your life, if you're not going through hard times, if there's not correction coming in your life, you need to wonder whether you're truly a son. Because discipline is normative for a father who loves. 
correction is normative for the child that has a good father. Our presumption is we're good enough, we're trying hard enough, we don't need correction. Parents, do we in love discipline as the Lord does? Or are we punishing as the world does? And can we rightly discipline our children in love as the Father does, providing correction and keeping them close to the Lord and His Word? If we ourselves resist and run from the Lord's discipline in our lives. No, don't correct me. Don't allow me to go through hard times. Correction, no thank you. Discipline, I don't deserve it. But then turn around to our children. No, brothers and sisters. The way we learn to love our children and provide a discipline that keeps them close to the Lord, brothers and sisters, is through confession and repentance and a willingness to come before the Lord and say, your authority, your rod, your staff, your word, that's correct, Lord. Have your way. Do what you need to do in my life. And I want to bring this to bear as members of the church. Members, you need to consider how you receive correction in the church from the elders and from the leaders of the church. All too often, brothers and sisters, I hear this this word go out, oh, well, you know, they're abusing me. I didn't deserve this. Why are you being so hard with me? Now, that's not to minimize abuse in the church. Does abuse happen in the church? Sure, it does. Do we turn a blind eye to it? No, absolutely we don't. And in Timothy, the Lord provides a provision in order to check and balance to make sure that there's not abuse going on. And he talks about two or three witnesses coming before the church in the case of a pastor abusing his flock. But brothers and sisters, when a brother or a sister or a small group leader or an elder comes to you with the word of the Lord and says, I have a concern. How's your walk with the Lord? Examine yourself. See whether you're in the faith. And it's a correction that comes from the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to think of that and refer to that, as abuse, and you're unable to receive discipline and correction, you need to examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith and whether you're a sheep who's following the Lord or you're of the world following a different path. Because that is the Lord's standard and His provision to protect His sheep, to bring you back when you're going and heading in a dangerous direction and you can't see it because you're in the dark and you've got blind spots and He sent loving Brothers and sisters, to come alongside. The Lord uses His rod and staff to correct and discipline His sheep and to keep them close. The third and final way the Lord keeps His sheep close to Him with His rod and staff is by using the rod and staff to count and to measure. To count and measure. To keep track of which sheep belong to Him and which do not. In the ancient Near East, rods and shorter sticks were used as a measuring stick. They were also used to count. And they were used by shepherds to count their sheep. Leviticus 27.32 says, And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. And the image that's conjured here is of a shepherd standing at a gate with the staff and as the sheep go through counting out the sheep. It's just like elementary school teachers on a field trip where they count before they get on the bus. They count when they get off the bus. They have a break and a lunchtime where they count out all the students to make sure that nobody's missing. Not only that nobody's missing, but to also make sure that they didn't pick up a few strays along the way that don't belong to them. We see in love the Lord using His rod and staff to protect His sheep, to correct His sheep, but also to count His sheep, to keep track, to make sure that none are lost if He needs to go back after them, but also to make sure that all the sheep get home. 
We see here, brothers and sisters, even in the Old Testament, the biblical precedent for church membership, where names are kept track of, where counts are done. And we see this in the end, in the book of Revelation, where a book is open and names are where there's a measuring stick and a rod is used. Where the Lord keeps track of His sheep and He knows each one. And you think of David, him coming and saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do they comfort him? Because the Lord is keeping track of his life. Because the Lord knows, he says, in sin sin I was conceived. He knows he's not able to take care of his life. He knows when the stakes get high, he's going to wander off and fall away. And the comfort that he has and the reassurance that he has is he has a God who not only is going to protect him from predators, but he has a God who's going to keep him on the path. And he has a, a God who keeps track of him and always has his eye on him and knows where he's at. When do we want to know that someone's keeping track of us? At night, when we're sleeping, in the dark. Growing up, my mom, she did not have a rod and a staff. But what she did have was a chopstick and a wooden spoon. And there was never a doubt who I belonged to. There was never a doubt who was in charge. And there was never a doubt when I was acting foolishly or beginning to stray off the right path. I'd be hard-pressed to say that chopstick and wooden spoon comforted me at the time. But what they did do is they let me know that I did not have an absent parent, but I had one who was very much present and very much invested in the steps I took in my life. And for King David, as hard as the Lord's rod and staff was in his life, as painful as it was at moments, in dark times, in the face of death, it was the Lord's rod and staff that comforted him because they kept him close to the Lord. And they prepared him for that final journey on earth when he would face death itself. And he needed not fear because the Lord's rod and staff comforted him and he knew that the one who was close to him and had loved him and had kept him on track every step of the way, even when he faltered, was the Lord who was going to walk with him through death itself. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of God's Word. This is the testimony of the cross that God is willing to do whatever is necessary to slay our sin and keep us close to Him. That the God who is with us and who loves us is greater than our own sin and is greater than death. As we come back to John chapter 13, which Ted read for us this morning, Jesus shows the disciples that the rod and staff he uses to protect us and to correct us and to keep track of us, to keep his sheep close to him, is quite simply his word. That's what he does when he comes the night before he dies. And he comes to Peter and he comes to them and he says, I'm going to wash you. And he puts that gown on, that towel on, and he acts as the servant. And Peter says to him, oh, no, no, don't want you, Lord, you're going to wash me. And Jesus uses his word to correct Peter. Unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. And he uses his word to draw the line of who are the sheep who belong to him and who do not. Brothers and sisters, there's no need to be afraid or to have a lack of assurance of whether we belong to the Lord or not in hard times. All we need to do is open up our Bible. That's what church membership is all about. As we come to his word, do you belong to him? Are you his sheep? Are you walking in the light? Or is the pattern of your life one of darkness and disobedience to the word of the Lord and ruling over your own life where the authority and the rod and staff are your rod and staff, not his rod and staff? Well, the word of the Lord showing you don't belong to him. You're not his sheep. But if you're walking in patterns, not perfect. That's what First John is. If we confess our sins. 
He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the pattern of our life is one of the Lordship of Christ, where His rod and staff are what directs our paths. Brothers and sisters, you need not fear. The word of the Lord reassures. The word of the Lord corrects. The word of the Lord keeps track and it counts. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters, keeps you close to a shepherd who loves you, who is greater than COVID-19, who is greater than the police who abuse, who is greater than all the craziness in this country, who is greater than the sin that is in your heart that leads you astray. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Brothers and sisters, whose voice are you listening to? Whose rod and whose staff leads your life? And who are you following? The testimony of Psalm 23 is that following the Lord does involve trials and tears. It does involve sorrows that are great. But the greatest prize of all, brothers and sisters, is the joy of walking with the Good Shepherd. He is the great prize, brothers and sisters. Christ is the great prize. That's what King David knew. And because of that, the sorrows of this world were small in comparison to the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy that abounded in his cup continually by virtue of the fact that even though he was walking in the dark, he was walking with the shepherd who always kept King David close to him. Brothers and sisters, who are you walking with? Let me ask you to consider your lives and consider the way in which perhaps the Lord is correcting you with His Word. To embrace it and to receive it. And to see it as coming from the love of a Father who desires to keep you close to Him. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a shepherd You are. You guide us through dark times, not because we're good, not because we're sinless, not because we're capable, but because we belong to You. The testimony of the cross is that You were willing to slay Your own Son to pay for our sins so that we might have the greatest joy and prize of all, that we might have You and that we might be close to You not for one minute or for one moment, but always and for eternity. Thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen.